0: Grace be you and peace from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. We're going to turn our attention to a familiar story for many of you. Maybe you've heard this in um, Sunday school days on up, the rich man and and poor Lazarus, right? Um, and, And we're going to take a little different look at this, and I pray that God blesses you through it. But first, we're going to start here. These are the two verses that follow last week's sermon. So, by the way, if you weren't here last week, go online and take a look at that message. I thought Pastor Johnson did a great job of unpacking that text about the dishonest manager. right? But immediately after that, and understand this, that the audience that um, Jesus was preaching to, if you will, were Pharisees. They were church people. In fact, they were the best of the church people. People who actually came to church at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, right? Are you connecting the dots? And this was their reaction to that parable that Jesus told. The Pharisees, who loved money, also heard all these things and sneered at him. You know, if I ask you all to give me your best sneer, what would it sound like? They made it very clear in no uncertain terms what they thought of Jesus and His teaching about wealth. And look at Jesus' response.
1: He said to them, God knows your heart. I don't. But He does. When we talk about our attitudes of the heart towards wealth,
0: God knows. And this is really important because it's not just the message that we learned last week that that wealth can't bring satisfaction in life. It can even be a determining factor about what happens in the end. If those attitudes of the heart get in the way of true saving faith in Jesus. That's why this is so critically important. So on the on the doorstep of this truth that Jesus understands what's going on in the minds and hearts of his hearers, he doesn't let this go and say, Well, I told you once, I'm just gonna He continues and he takes a little different tack at it. He says, Let's get down to brass tacks and talk about the end of all things. And I know you look at a casket and you go, Oh boy, this is pleasant.
1: We're all going there. Unless
0: the good Lord decides to call it quits while we're all still alive and bring this world to an end, this is our end, right? The soul that sins shall die. So in the end, right,
1: where is our
0: real trust? Where is our real affection? Where is our real reliance? In the end, it's important that we know the answer to that question. In the end, the have maybe the have-nots, and the have-nots may have it all. And I use may because we dare not say, all rich people are going to hell. That's kind of what we're hearing in our culture right now and in our country right now. The wealthy are being so vilified as that they are the bad guys.
1: Let's get them! Let's make them pay their fair share.
0: Let's bring them down. Let's make sure they give me what I want.
1: And the have-nots, the poor,
0: the discriminated against, those who make it tough to scratch two nickels together, they're automatically going to go to heaven, right, for all the suffering they went through? Hmm, not necessarily. That was
1: not the point of Jesus' story.
0: The truth is, he wants you to remember what he said first. God knows your hearts. It's not about how you've pigeonhole others. It's what about you? Where's your attitude? Where's your heart? For your heart is there, your treasure will be also. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, living in luxury every day. He had servants come and serve his meals and draw his bath and lay out his clothes and make his meals and feed his cattle, clip his toenails. I mean, he lived in luxury, okay? As much as you can. So this is a stark contrast. He lacked for nothing. A beggar named Lazarus had been laid at his gate. Stop. Time out.
1: I want you to know I believe that this is not a parable.
0: In in all the other parables of Scripture, Jesus always introduces it. He says, right, then he told them a parable about, and, and the characters always remain nameless. There was a rich man, there was a merchant, there was a, right? Never did he assign a proper first name to people in his parable, except this one. And he doesn't say, he simply says, there was. So as far as we know, this is a historical, factual rich man and Lazarus, right? Jesus says, if the stories don't cut it, let me give you a factual account. Lazarus was covered with sores and longed to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. He didn't want much, just the crumbs. A, A few of those leftover bites of the morning waffles. Just maybe a few of those cookie crumbles, you know, that the kids were careless with, that they let fall down on the floor, anything. He, He wasn't asking for much. He wasn't demanding that he have it
1: like the rich man.
0: Just anything would help. Besides this, the dogs also came and licked his sores. That's modern medicine, huh? You know, he probably had some kind of a disease where there were open festering Puss-laden sores. It's not a pretty picture. But the dogs came and tried to give him some relief. And you know what they say about a dog's mouth, right? It's as germy as you can get. And yet he didn't stop them because it provided some measure of relief to him. Eventually the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried in hell where he was in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away at Lazarus at his side he called out and said father Abraham have mercy on me send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in misery in this flame we're gonna talk about that misery and that agony a little bit later in the message but Abraham said son remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus received bad things but now he is comforted here and you are in misery Besides all this, a great chasm has been set in place between us and you, so that those who want to cross from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He said, Then I beg you, Father, send into my father's home, because I have five brothers, to warn them, so that they will also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham replied to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone
1: rises from the dead.
0: When you think about the message of Christianity, do you think this last verse is ironic? Even if someone comes back from the dead, they will not be convinced and repent? right? Isn't Easter Sunday the heart and core of the Christian message? Someone rose from the dead, conquered death and the devil, and and still people will not believe? Isn't that exactly what happened among the Jews? You know why? Because God knows
1: their heart.
0: Even if someone came back from the dead, they were so firmly entrenched upon the throne of their hearts they would not believe even one who came back from the dead. Do you? Is he the master of your heart so that in the end, you're comforted and you have confidence and that nothing else has gotten in the way of Jesus being Lord and ruler of your life? In the end, both the haves and have-nots require warning and wisdom. Let's start there. Instead of dividing and separating and thinking that they're different, Let's take a look at the way Jesus approached this. Here's one. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's pretty clear. And yet, do we believe that? We were just talking about this at Small Group this week. Do you remember the bumper sticker that we saw for a number of years? He who dies of the most toys wins. I know we kind of shake our heads and say, oh, that's disgusting. But that's exactly what Jesus was warning about 2,000 years ago. We've been lulled into this false ideology that says, if you've got lots of stuff, you'll be satisfied in life, and you'll be set for life, and who cares about the next life? It'll all work out. It'll all take care of itself. And he told them this parable. See that introduction? He made it very clear this was a parable. He said, The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall... By the way, emphasis added by moi. All right? What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself... You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take like easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool this very night. Your life will be demanded from you. You notice that God doesn't give us any indication that this farmer was not a good manager of of his land and his crops. We don't have any inclination that he was dishonest or stole crops. Um, It just simply says, by good hard work and by the blessing of God, he ended up with a bumper crop. And he doesn't even diminish the plans to build bigger barns so that he can store them and take it easy. What God does have an issue with, because
1: God knows your hearts, is that he was totally left out of the planning.
0: Instead of saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with all this blessing? It's all more than I could have asked or imagined. What would be in line with your will and your word? He said, what am I going to do? Did you see who is on the throne of his heart? Me, myself, and I. Those pronouns stand out like a red neon sign. It was all about him. And that's one of the dangers of great wealth that keep people from, in the end, seeing their great need to replace themselves with Jesus. Then Jesus said to His disciples, Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know, Satan loves to find temptations, insidious schemes in which to work His way into our lives that are particular to individuals. And for the rich, He gives them all kinds of problems. This, this problem of being veiled to what's really
1: valuable versus Jesus. I want to ask you a question.
0: Think about your neighborhood where you live and then think about the biggest, most expensive the richest house in the neighborhood. When's the last time you drove by that house and that family without sneering?
1: Who did they think they are? You
0: see that? They got a Lexus
1: parked in the driveway. A Lexus
0: and a Beamer. When's the last time you pulled your car up to that house and you parked in front of that house and you prayed for them?
1: You bowed your head and closed your eyes and said, Lord, please make them thankful for the gifts You've given to them.
0: Please don't let their vision be so obscured with the wealth they have so that they don't see their need for Your Son. Lord, if there's a call to repent that's needed, please lead them to repent. When's the last time you drove by that big stinking house in your neighborhood and actually tried to share your faith with the people who live inside? When's the last time you have felt an ounce of compassion for them because they're wrestling with awful temptations?
1: How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven.
0: A simple reminder that life doesn't consist in the abundance of possession. Indeed, the heavens and the heaven of heavens, the earth and everything that is on it, these belong to the Lord your God. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. You know, isn't that the truth that all people, the haves and the have-nots, need to remember? That that all of our stuff isn't ours, it never has been. I know you may have deeds, probably a little nicer than the Boardwalk and Park Place ones. You know, Merrill and I paid off our house a couple of years ago, and, and I have that piece of paper with all the lien holders removed. It's mine, oh, mine. God says, Who? He snickers at those silly feelings that anything I have is mine. He says, No, Mark, it's mine. And when we allow ourselves to believe that we've actually accumulated things and that now I'm going to be set for life, we actually get lulled into thinking that I'm actually going to be set for the next life too. And we stop concentrating on that. We stop being aware of that. That You know what? All that matters is that I keep my eyes on Jesus instead of turning to the left or to the right. I don't know about you brothers and sisters, but I am that lost sheep. You know, Jesus says, stay on the straight and narrow path to heaven, because it's a narrow one, and we all like sheep have turned astray. I let my heart be lulled by so many attractions and distractions in this life, instead of keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but rather in God who is richly supplies us with all things for our enjoyment. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. Generous and willing to share just like their Heavenly Father. Right? Isn't that who God is ultimately? God so, John 3.16, Gospel in a nutshell, God so loved
1: the world that He... Gave.
0: He couldn't help himself. He's so filled with love for you that he gave his one and only son. That's who he is. It is not because you're so lovely or loving or lovable. No, you're a miserable, sinful wretch just like me. The amazing truth of God's nature is that his love can't help him from giving and being generous. And all he asks is that his people be the same way. God never asks us to do anything that he himself wasn't willing to do first.
1: We've talked a little bit
0: about the wealthy. Let's talk about the folks who are not so wealthy. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. You know how we talked about the fact that the rich have a particular temptation for them? So do those who are not rich, or at least who think they aren't rich. They, they look at the other person and that, that green-eyed monster raises his ugly head inside of them and, and that greed and that jealousy just overwhelms them. Look at those people! Have you ever done that? On the church grounds?
1: I've seen you. You you walk
0: out the parking lot after church and you see that person with the new Cadillac or the new Lexus or the new Infinity. They go, oh, who do they think they are? I've ab- oh, Pastor got a new car, huh?
1: We must be paying him too much.
0: there is that. How come I'm not getting mine? I thought God loved me. How come some have others? Some have more than others? How come I'm on the short end of the stick and I'm drawing the short straw all the time? And as I take a look at those who seem to have far more, <sighs> it's easy to fall into that trap of anger, jealousy, coveting. Here's the truth that is the antidote. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. It's up to His to distribute as He sees fit. You and I don't get to call the shots. You don't hear of Lazarus having a tete-a-tete with God saying, Hey, how come I got to be the beggar? That was God's decision. He humbles and He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash sheep. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. And the bottom line is, whatever position I have in this life, if I'm a have or a have not, doesn't matter. What matters for the believing child of God is to know I'm going to be raised up at the end and in the end, it's all going to work out. I know how the story ends because of Jesus. This life, whether it's 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years, what is that that's a drop in the bucket compared to eternity?
1: What matters are the words
0: and promises of God in the end. That's
1: Jesus' point. And our heart is the place where we accept and believe those words. In the
0: end, both the haves and the have-nots require redemption and deliverance. They are the same. And by the way, in case you think you're not rich, maybe we should talk about that for a minute. Because I maintain you are. I know some of you would think, oh man, I'm on a fixed income. I start Social Security next month.
1: Okay. But, but truth
0: be told, we, we are wealthy, wealthy people. If you lived in India, your daily wage, or in Mexico, your daily wage would be about $25 a day. Imagine raising a family of five on that. You wonder why so many are coming from the south and trying to get into our country? If you lived in India, your daily wage would be $15.49. If you lived on the island of Madagascar off the coast of Africa, your daily wage would be $1.30. If you went to Starbucks and bought a $7 cup of coffee, you would blow an entire week's pay. In fact, the truth is, if you make more than $25 a day, whether it's on your fixed income or your part-time job or your full-time job, right, you are wealthier than about 3.5 billion people of this world's population. And I know those statistics sometimes make your head spin a little bit, but truth be told, we fool ourselves into thinking that we are have not. What we require is redemption and reliance. Then an expert in the law came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus came as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the king of heaven itself the universe right and he comes down and he ends up being an itinerant poverty-stricken traveling preacher
1: depending on handouts for his daily
0: bread i don't get that right because sometimes because we've been fooled into thinking that our blessings are a measure of god's favor and love We think, well, why didn't God the Father love Jesus? I thought He said so. Remember at His baptism? This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. And yet He treated Him like dirt. He had no place to call home. He slept under the stars.
1: That's the depth of the Savior's love for you and for me. Remember how I said that God never asks us to do what He Himself isn't
0: willing to do first? Jesus came to show us a living example and be perfectly content. His relationship with his Father was enough. Do you remember the words of Jesus in the temptation? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's promise of care was enough. Jesus trusted his Father perfectly to take care of him. What mattered was in the end, not this life. Jesus was willing to to put, you know, I I had a friend who spent about four years of his life living in a tar paper shack. Parents went through an ugly divorce and literally he lived in a tar paper
1: shack. He didn't scream at God going, I
0: thought you loved me. How come you're treating me so poorly? There's no room for that in the life of the believer that says, you know what, I know the love of God because I know Jesus. I don't measure his love by
1: my bank book. They
0: trust in their wealth. They place their confidence in the abundance of their riches, but no one can by any means redeem himself. He cannot give God a ransom for himself. Yes, the ransom for their souls is costly. Any payment would fall short so that he could live on forever and not see the pit. But surely, God will redeem my life from the power of the grave Yes, He will take me to Himself. See, Jesus was not only our perfect substitute in life, being perfectly content, perfectly trusting His Father's promises, but He was our substitute in death, wasn't He? For all the times we've grumbled and complained about not having our share or sneering at those who appear to have more than we do, for all the times that that we have perhaps uh, ignored the opportunities To be givers, to share generously, to help those in need. You know, remember I talked about the rich man's torment? Can you imagine what hell was like for him? That flame that burned inside of his soul? God gave me tremendous wealth so that I could live in luxury and every day he put an opportunity to share and love that man on my porch and I wouldn't so much as lift a pinky to help him. His pain was that he kicked himself around the block for eternity
1: because he had failed to do what God gave him the opportunity to. There's no redemption for that. Think about the opportunities that you and I
0: have every day to help those who are in need. And we're too busy. Or that would take too much work. Or you know what? I'm not so sure. They could probably work for a living and get a job. Why should I help them?
1: At the cross, our Savior
0: Jesus died for all people, you and me, even the good church people of the day because He knows that we will fail.
1: That we will fail to trust His promises to care for us.
0: That we'll fail at not loving money because He loves you that dearly and that deeply that He wants to take you with Him and that no sins are
1: going to stand in the way of that.
0: King David said, I was a young man, now I'm old, but I've never seen a righteous person forsaken or his children begging bread. That perfect righteousness of Christ that he won as our life substitute has been given to you and to me. How many of you had to memorize that hymn in, in hymnology or confirmation class? Jesus, Thy Blood and Righteousness. Remember that one? right? One of our favorites from the old timers anyway. Jesus, Thy Blood and Righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. That's why pastors wear these white gowns. It's just simply a reminder of what God has done for us in our baptism. Clothed us with the righteousness, not of ourselves, but of Christ Jesus himself. God says, that's the person who believes that Jesus has done it all for me, that in the end will have no fear and goes through this life content. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures all of them wait, hopefully, for you to give them their food in it's time. You give it to them. They gather it up. You open your hand. They are satisfied with good things. That psalmist, it's beautiful because he leaves no doubt about it at all. You open your hand. Not you might.
1: Or if you're really good,
0: maybe I'll take a few fingers apart. He said, you open your hand so that you can fully pour out your blessing to us. You give them their food. No doubts. God... Promises to you.
1: Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. In the end, all the stuff of life, don't feel guilty about having stuff, please. But in the end, it does not do you any good, right? Only Jesus.
0: But while I can't see into your heart, God knows it. And what He wants to do by the work of His Holy Spirit through the hearing of the Word is to make sure that Jesus squarely sits on the throne of life.
1: One final thought. In the end, everything works out. If it's not working out, it's not the end. We know what our
0: Savior has done for us, what our Savior has promised to us. Be faithful even to the end. And God has a crown of life waiting for you. Amen.